0: What trauma has alcoholism brought into your life? How are you healing from it? Welcome to episode 237 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Holly, Susan, Kristen, Mary, and Marianne. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you Holly, Susan, Kristen, Mary, and Marianne for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of Alcoholics and Addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at the recovery show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. Reading today is from our daily reader, Courage to Change, June 4th. The second step is about possibility, about hope. With this step, we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We are asked to open our minds to the possibility that help is available, Perhaps there is a source of assistance that can do for us what we have been unable to do for ourselves. We don't have to believe that it will happen, only that it could. This little bit of hope, this chink in the armor of despair, is enough to show that we are willing to move in the direction of healing. Once we recognize that the possibility of help exists, it seems worthwhile to explore a relationship with a higher power. A little willingness can go a long way toward making hope and faith an ongoing part of our lives, In the hands of a higher power, sanity and serenity become realistic hopes. Today's reminder, our literature speaks of the possibility of finding contentment and even happiness through recovery in Al-Anon. Today I will take the second step in that process and open my mind to hope. Hope. Now there's a word. I didn't realize it, but by the time I came to Al-Anon, I had been traumatized by the disease of alcoholism and I felt no hope al has helped me to heal from this trauma. I recognized recently that it's not over, even almost 16 years later. Recently, I heard of three simple steps that can help us to heal from traumatic stress. These are simple but not easy, as is the program, Simple But Not Easy. And I have to admit that I don't completely understand what they mean, but I want to explore how I have applied these three steps already in my recovery in Al-Anon. The three steps are act, act with others, and act with your wise mind. Let's take a look at how these worked in my life, or at least some ways in which these worked in my life. So act. What does that mean, act? How do I act my way out of trauma? Well, In my case, I came to Al-Anon. So there's an action, right? I wasn't sure why I came, except that at that moment, I didn't know what else to do. At that moment, I had exhausted all of the things that I thought I could do, that I should do, that I had to do, that had not been effective. And what Seemed left for me at that moment. The action that seemed left at that moment was to come, try out, check out Alanon, and my next action was that I kept coming, because every time I came, I felt a little bit better, for a little while, and those little whiles started to get a little bit longer, and a little bit longer. Just to be clear, this was not a linear. Process because it got worse and it got better and it got worse and it got better. But the betters were higher and the worse were not as bad. What other actions did I take? I listened. Listening is an action. I could have come to those meetings and I could have just sat there and I could have closed my ears to whatever was being said, but I didn't. I listened. And I listened because I started to identify. I started to identify with what people were talking about. I started to see where my experience was similar in some way to theirs. So I listened and I identified with what members said in meetings, and that was my next action. Along with that, I took the action. I acted to read the literature. I think it was my second meeting I bought a copy of the book, How Al-Anon Works?, I devoured that book. I could identify with, I could see the possibility that things could be better. I could identify with the description of living with alcoholism. Oh my God, I could identify with that. And when, as was frequently the case at that time, I was awake at night, full of anxiety and fear, I could read that book. I could read some of the stories in that book and I could feel hope. As, as the reading I opened with said, I could, there, there is hope in this program and I could feel hope because the people who told those stories had found some measure of recovery. And maybe that could happen for me. And that is hope. The possibility of change, the possibility that things could be better, is hope. So the next step in this three-step process of healing from trauma is to act with others. Up to this point in my description, all of these actions are solitary actions. I mean, I guess when I come to a meeting, there are others there, but I'm coming to the meeting by myself. I'm not necessarily interacting with or working with the others in the meeting. They are there and I'm hearing them. I'm identifying with them. But to actually start to act with others, this is the essence of really steps two and three in the program to understand that I can't do it by myself and that I can ask for help. Step two says we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So this is the recognition in this action that I can't do it all by myself. And step three says made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. I wasn't sure about the God thing, but I could make a decision to start to apply the things that I was hearing from other people and actually to reach out to other people and to say, I am struggling with this, what is your experience? That is a decision to turn my life over to the care of something bigger than me, and in that case, just the program, the people in the program. And the next, if if I try to make this thing linear, which I'm trying to do for the purposes of this podcast, the next step in acting with others is I asked another member in the program to be a sponsor. And that happened because at a meeting, the topic of sponsorship was the topic of the day. And I said, huh, this sounds good. This sounds like something I want. And so I asked somebody and they said, yes, this really was my first step in explicitly reaching out to somebody else to act together in my recovery. I have to say I probably didn't use my sponsor as effectively as I could have, but I did reach out to them when I wasn't sure how to deal, how to proceed, how to act in a a troubling situation. And somewhere along in there, I think it was after I, I got a sponsor, what I heard in meetings was that working the steps was the path to recovery. And I have to Say, I'm sure I didn't understand why, how that was true. But I did hear it, and I thought, well, okay, I guess this is the thing I have to do. But I didn't want to try to do it by myself, and for whatever reason, I didn't do it with my sponsor. Instead, I got together with a group of other members of the program, some of whom I had known previously and some of whom I hadn't known previously, but, but that other people in the group had known we formed a a group to work the steps together. And in our area, those groups are commonly called AWOL, which stands for A Way of Life or A Way of Living. We met every week and we worked through the 12 steps together. Took us a couple of years, longer than that, I think. But this was my next step in acting with others. In that process I think what was really important for me, what was really important for me in engaging with others and acting with others was to understand that my problems were not unique, that my reactions to those problems were not unique, that I was not uniquely broken, that other people had suffered this trauma called alcoholism, and that we were in this thing together, and that we could work through it together, we could support each other. We got to step four, which is the searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And the things that I had guilt and shame about, other people had done them too. This was so so important to me, to be in a community where I didn't have to pretend that everything was okay, where it was where it was okay for things to be not okay, because that was true for all of us in some way or another. We got to step five, and step five is, I think, the ultimate acting with others step for me in the program. Step five says that we admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And the hard part for me was another human being. And the most powerful part for me was another human being. Because what I've found is that until I open up to another person, until I admit out loud the things that I'm most ashamed of, those things continue to haunt me. Those things continue to cause pain. And so in this way, acting with another was really essential to my recovery. The third step here says, act from your wise mind. And so I have this sort of mental image of wise mind just from the phrase. It's like not just reacting. Where does this phrase come from? And the concept of wise mind comes from this thing called Dialectical Behavioral Therapy or DBT. I'm like, oh, really? Okay whatever. I thought it was like Buddhist. Okay. Just saying. The wise mind has been described as a combination or the synergy of the reasoning mind, the intellectual mind, and emotional mind. Well, okay. So what does that mean for me? Let's just, I'm going to look at a couple of things where I see this acting from my wise mind most clearly in the program is in steps 6 and 7. Step 6 says, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Okay, and step 7 says, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. And in working step 6, for me, at least, I try to reach a fullness of understanding and acceptance of my shortcomings. Some of my shortcomings are easy to accept intellectually, but difficult to accept emotionally and some of them sort of vice versa. And the wise mind says that I have to reach that fullness of understanding both emotionally and intellectually. So for example, let's take procrastination. So intellectually, I see the negative effects of procrastination in that I don't get things done on time. I don't pay bills on time. I'm late for appointments Okay, but emotionally, I had this sort of drive to put things off. You know, I don't want to do it. I'm going to wait. I'm going to do it tomorrow. That's emotional. I didn't really, you know, understand, like, where's that coming from or whatever. I don't know. So intellectually, I see the problem. Emotionally, I'm like driven to live in the problem. How do I get to the wise mind here? Well, one of the techniques that I I think works, helps us to get to the wise mind, helps us to get to this full acceptance, is the practice of mindfulness. Maybe you've tried to meditate. Maybe you've tried to let go of your thoughts and just watch them go by. And for me, that's that's one of the things I need to do to get to this full acceptance that I need to see my thoughts and see my emotions as sort of a little bit outside of me to be able to step aside and look at them and to understand that they're there and to recognize that they're there. I don't know. I'm not explaining this very well, but practicing mindfulness can help because it can help me to find acceptance of what is true what is true in my life, in the world today. As opposed to the things that I wish were true. So mindfulness is a practice of acceptance of what is. And when I am accepting what is, then, and in my case only then, really, Can I become entirely ready for change and then ask for it? But then there are other shortcomings that like are totally emotional and I recognize them emotionally, but understanding them intellectually is difficult for me. These are the ones where you say, why, why do I do this? I don't understand why I do this. As I talked last time about my fear of financial insecurity. That was one of them. Like that fear was there. That fear was totally there. I had no problem recognizing that that fear was there emotionally. Intellectually, I was like, well, just, you know, effing pay the bill. Look at your bank statement. Just do it. And I couldn't do it. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't do it. But emotionally, like, yeah, I'm not doing it. Nope, 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 nope. Uh -uh. And I had to bring that emotion and that reasoning together in order to ask for help. And when I asked for help, you know what? I got it. And if you want to hear the whole story, listen to the previous episode, number 236 at therecovery.show slash 236. So when I have reached this combined intellectual and emotional acceptance of a shortcoming, then I am entirely ready to have it removed, and I can move on to step seven when I ask for it. There are other parts of the Al-Anon program that bring me towards or into a wise mind perspective. Help me see what is true rather than what I wish was true. And near the beginning of my program, one of, I think, a very important factor there was Understanding and accepting the disease concept of alcoholism—that alcoholism is a disease—it's a, a disease of the mind and of the spirit—and that that concept was foreign to me at first. I just thought, "Hey, this is a choice. You just have to choose to be different." And I don't know why my own experience didn't enforce me, it didn't like let me know why I can't just choose to be different about some things. But there it was. So I had to learn. And I had to learn intellectually about how addiction and alcoholism affects the brain, about the genetic components that predispose some people to it, and about the exposure effect that lead to full-blown addiction and alcoholism. And that was the intellectual side. The emotional side came from attending many open talks, Open talks by alcoholics who described sometimes in excruciating emotional detail, the process, the progress, the pain of their disease. And to see, to understand emotionally that these people did not choose this life. They did not want That life. And to bring those two pieces together, the intellectual understanding of the biology and genetics, and the emotional understanding of many people's story, brought me to an acceptance that my loved one was not acting out of ill will, was not acting out of a lack of love, but was in the grips of a disease. And that was huge. And I heard about this also not just from alcoholics, but from members of Al-Anon as they talked about their life and their loved ones and and the progress of the disease and their loved ones and their acceptance and their powerlessness. And I came to see that I could not truly fix my loved one that as the serenity prayer says, as I started to accept the things I could not change, then I could seek the wisdom to know the difference so that I could find the courage to change the things I can. When I kept on doing the impossible, before I got to this acceptance, and, you know, I talk about this like this was like black and white. Like, one day I did not have the serenity to accept things I could not change. And the next day I did. And and I'm sure that you know from your experience, but I will tell you that it was not that. And I can talk about it as if it's this all or nothing, but it really was one tiny, tiny step at a time. One little step at a time. But when I kept on trying to do the impossible, I could not see, I did not see, the things that I actually could do to make my life better. And so by accepting that there were things I couldn't do, I could then focus on the things I could do. I could act out of my wise mind. My mind that says, it doesn't matter how strongly you want something when you can't have it. You need to turn and look at the thing that you can't have. And, you know, Eric and I have been talking about slogans and tools over the couple of years that, that we've been doing podcasts together. And those little slogans, those little tools help me to be in my wise mind. When I say, how important is it? When I say, is this thoughtful, honest, intelligent, necessary, and kind? When I say, one day at a time, those those things help me to move towards acting out of my wise mind instead of out of my emotional reactive mind. I recently heard a story of a person who was working to make some changes in their life, a big change, and it was hard work. And many, many days, they just were really not sure they could do it. It was so hard. The obstacles seemed insurmountable. And on the way home every day, they would walk through a park and In that park was a bench, and on those days when it just seemed like they were never going to get to their goal, they were never going to succeed, they would sit down on that bench and just cry. Just cry, because it just seemed impossible. And as happens after some time of crying, they would find... The energy and the will to get up and continue the journey home until the next day. And I think I know I've been on that bench. There were times in my journey with alcoholism that I found myself on that bench. I found myself saying, I can't, I just can't do it. I can't move forward. But yet, but yet I must. I must do something. Just the seeming impossibility, sometimes all I could do was cry. Usually, late at night is when it was the worst for me. I'm going to guess there are times in your life when you've been on that bench. I don't think I know anybody who, at some point in their life, has not had that experience yet. But al helped me to get up from that bench and to start to act for myself. And other members shared their experience, strength, and hope with me, and they shared their pain so that I could know I was not alone and that other people have, had worked through, had moved through the things that I was experiencing and, and that their lives had got better. And they showed me, how they had found the strength to get up from the bench. And I saw that I could do that if only for an hour or maybe a day at a time. You know, that was enough for then. So maybe you're sitting on the bench. Maybe you're sitting on the bench crying. You don't know how you're going to move forward. You don't know how you're even going to get up. The concept of healing your trauma is just so far beyond your perception at the moment. Well, give us a try. Come to us. Act. And we will welcome you. We will welcome you into the Fellowship of al Act with us and start to find your wise mind. You are not alone. And al is a community where we don't have to pretend that everything is okay. You can find healing, but you need to take that first step. You need to act. You just take one small step and reach out for help. Close with a reading from also courage to change October 11th. When I was a beginner in Al-Anon, it was suggested that I learn about this disease of alcoholism and I became a voracious reader on the subject. As I read, I began to analyze everything. Was Alanine a philosophy or a philosophical system? What would be the logical outcome of believing in a power greater than myself? And just when was the alcoholic going to have a spiritual awakening? These questions and others like them kept my mind busy, but did not help me get better. Fortunately, I continued to go to Al-Anon meetings and I read, reread, and rehearsed the 12 steps and 12 traditions. Gradually, I began to catch on when I stopped trying to analyze and explain everything and started living the principles, actually using them in my everyday situations. The Al-Anon program suddenly made sense, and I started to change. And what I like about that reading is I feel like that expresses starting to act from the wise mind, not just analyzing, but actually living after a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. The first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at 237, is by Julian Baker, her song Appointments. From an interview with her, she says, Appointments is largely just derived from pieces of dialogue with another person, and then also what's going on inside of my own mind or a person's own mind. For instance, knowing that you disappoint a person or knowing that you're failing someone and you're not what they wanted, these are all examples of self-deprecating and skewed self-concepts. And then, hopefully, the rest of the record is learning how to be aware of those things and mitigate them. In this song, there's a repeating lyric, Maybe it's going to turn out all right. And I know that it's not, but I have to believe that it is. And that lyric says to me just this, It's hopeless. I must, but I don't know how. I can't, and yet I must. She goes on to say, saying that you have to believe that it is, is just forcing a provisional hope when it doesn't feel like there's a realistic hope. When there seems to be no answer, I think we just provide ourselves with some kind of motivation to persevere because I guess the only inevitability is that things change. When I say I believe that it's going to turn out all right, well, maybe things turning out all right doesn't look the way I envisioned it. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. And it's been a couple of weeks since I checked in with y'all. Last week, I just I was feeling under the weather, you know, I maybe sort of had a cold and maybe I sort of didn't. And from day to day and from hour to hour, I wasn't sure. But what was true was that I didn't have energy. I didn't have energy to actually get things done except the bare minimum. And so one of the things I didn't get done was the podcast. Two meetings this week touched on two of the traditions. Traditions 2 and 3. Tradition 2 says, For our group purpose there is but one authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. And as we were reading that tradition, as we were reading what it says in the book about that tradition, I realized that something I had been struggling with at work, a decision that needs to be made that I thought I had to make, doesn't have to be that way. That my whole team together can make that decision. My whole team has been working towards making that decision. I don't have to be the decider. And man, is that a relief. That is a relief. So I was really grateful to have been at that tradition meeting. You know, our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. We take in... And we discuss and we reach a decision as a group. Wow. And then at another meeting, we talked about Tradition 3, which says, The relatives of alcoholics, when gathered together for mutual aid, may call themselves an Al-Anon family group, provided that, as a group, they have no other affiliation. The only requirement for membership is that there be a problem of alcoholism in a relative or friend. Yeah. I mean, that's so important. That's so important. And the reading about that tradition in our book, How Al-Anon Works, goes on to say that only each of us gets to decide whether we're qualified for membership. There's no test to pass Nobody has to sponsor you for membership in Al-Anon. Nobody has to approve your membership in Al-Anon. Because for many of us, we don't really understand why we're here. I did. But I have talked to so many people when they came to the program. They said, I don't understand why I'm here except that what you say makes sense for me. What I hear here, I hear myself in your voices. And because of this tradition, that's enough to keep coming. And sharing in that meeting, people talked about how they maybe came to Al-Anon for a particular reason, and then they started to realize the alcoholism in their family, in their extended family, in their friends, that they just hadn't been able to see. And if we said you must identify the alcoholic in your life before we let you in the room, those people would still be suffering. And and that's just not right. So both of those traditions are are really important. I went to a meeting where we talked about guilt and shame. So the definitions that I use to distinguish those two, very simply, guilt says, I did something wrong. I did something bad. Shame says, I am wrong. I am bad. And we can get, relieve guilt by making amends. We can only relieve shame by forgiving ourselves. And in my case, I talked about having hurt a couple of friends and having felt a lot of shame about that, about how could I be a person who would do this thing. And because I was looking at myself, I wasn't giving myself any benefit of the doubt. But what I know was I was not acting out of malice. I was not acting out of a desire to hurt I was acting as my imperfect self. But the only way, so yeah, so this is self-reinforcing. Because because I felt shameful, I didn't want to talk about it. I did not want to open up to my sponsor. I didn't want to open up to other people in the program. I kept it inside. And as long as I kept it inside, it continued to eat at me. And it was only until I was able to say, honestly, I did this thing. I did this thing. and. I wish I hadn't, because I hurt people. Only when I was able to open up and admit it was I able to move on and to start to heal. So simple and so hard. On another note, on a, a looking forward note, I'm going to be attending a local AA convention with Eleanor participation in southeastern Michigan. This is called March Roundup. It's a conference that's being held in Dearborn, Michigan, on Friday, March second through Sunday, March fourth. I'll be there for at least part of that. I would love to meet with you if you're planning to be there. If you're thinking about going, I would. I recommend it. I, I went last year and, and got a lot out of it. There's open talks, there's workshops, there's panels, and there's time for uh, for fellowship. So if you're planning to be there, drop me a note, feedback at the recovery and maybe we can set up a time to to get together and and chat. I'm planning to bring my recorder. Maybe we can talk about what you found at the convention. Maybe it's your first experience at a convention. Maybe it, you've been there many times. And what did it mean to you? What did you What did you find there? That would be. I think that would be great. If we could do that. And if you don't want to do that, but you just want to say hi, that's okay too. So drop me a note. Still planning for parenting. Eric suggested a topic of freedom. We have some topic suggestions coming up in the feedback section also. Not sure exactly what order I'm going to be doing these things in, but uh, we're working on it. If you are the parent of an alcoholic or addict and want to talk about your experience, your pain, your strength, your hope, please do. And you can do that by leaving a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website or you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We would love to hear from you. Please share your experience, strength, and hope, your questions, your feedback. And we do have a website, which is therecovery.show. You can find all the information about the podcast. There's a contact page that has all of the information, the phone number, the email address, etc. There's a page about how to subscribe to the show so you can get it as soon as we publish it, or very shortly thereafter, on your smartphone or on your computer. We always have notes for every episode they include a description of the episode, the, uh, the questions of the outline that we followed in the episode, links to the music we talked about, links to other things. And in the case of this particular episode, I found some links about this dialectical behavioral therapy and about Wise Mind that I found helpful, and maybe you will too. So I'll put those in the show notes at two three seven. The next song that I picked, I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. (laughs) This is is a song about, you know, moving on, about getting over it. It's a little, um, what's the word I want here? Bombastic, maybe? Some lyrics. At first I was afraid, I was petrified. Kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong, and I grew strong and I learned how to get along. Pat left us a voicemail about financial insecurity.
1: Hi, Spencer. This is Pat from the West Coast. Wow, your your financial insecurity episode really rang a lot of bells, and that's something we don't really talk about. oh, was so tied up with My first husband, who was a primary alcoholic in my life, and so tied up with my need for recovery. The first thing I wanted to talk about is it connects with boundaries for me. So I remember sitting in a loan company's office, and they had no business giving us a loan. And the interest rate on the the loan was exorbitant. And they would not... Give the loan to my husband. He wasn't working. I was the breadwinner for the house and his credit rating was really poor. Actually, both of our credit ratings was really poor by that point in time. Just feeling really pressured, feeling, you know, knowing on a gut level I needed and should be saying no to this, that it wasn't right. It wasn't a good idea. That it wasn't, certainly wasn't the right thing for me, but also that it wasn't the right thing for my family. But not having the courage to say, they're going to loan us money tomorrow if we come back and want it tomorrow, so let's go home and talk about this. Not having the courage to have a conversation, an honest conversation about money and our state of, of income where we were. Um, I actually don't even know what he needed the money for because he was on a fairly generous allowance. Something my mother had always taught me is that every you know both partners in the family Need independent money to spend as they see fit. So he'd always had that. And, and it ties in with people pleasing and codependence. And I ended up signing for that loan. It was a very, very bad idea. Certainly did not help our overall financial health. So that, that was one thing where as the money I was, I was not setting boundaries and I was not having honest conversations with you. The second thing that I was thinking about religion to subject is that I had a fear of conflict, too. And so I didn't have any skills for how to handle difficult conversations, and so I was into conflict avoidance, um, very severe conflict avoidance. Even having the word conflict on, written on the board during an a exercise at work really shut me down. It was an amazing the emotional reaction I had. So that was something that Alan given me is through the tradition, is the tools to work with other people and to be comfortable with conflict and to use my program tools and my sponsor to deal with conflict and potential conflict and to walk towards it, which is truly really amazing. Um, another thing, and this ties in with parenting, is giving my kids trips, paying for trips, them to go on, and there were opportunities that we gave them that we just couldn't really honestly afford. That ties in with so many things. I don't know, was I trying to make up for the home life that they had, knowing how rotten it had become? I was fearful of saying no. I was afraid that if I said no and they were unhappy with me, that would damage the relationship permanently. It's kind of part of that oh, no, I have to fix everything right now. Everything has to be happy right now. Everything has to be perfect right now. Kind of feeling this just desperation and anxiety about, you know, having to do things right now and not being able to wait. And not trusting that my kids could get mad at me. My kids could not like something I said. They could not like a boundary I placed on them. And that's okay. But that's part of heresy. It had become really it's hard to remember, but it just so sick. And that they were, especially my youngest, who was still in the house, he was my partner. He was my defense partner. We were surviving together in a household with an active drinker who was drinking more and more and becoming more abusive verbally and verging towards physical abuse. So we, that was extremely difficult, and I didn't, he wasn't treated as a, as my child, who so I should have been doing, making much better decisions for. Obviously, that gets into a man. I just wanted to mention, those are all elements of how finances were affected by my need for recovery. Oh, and the third one is buying things for myself. Oh, yeah, I was buying things for myself that I didn't need. And there were less less expensive alternatives. And that was, you know, I I hold off, hold off, hold off, hold off, hold off, and then I splurge. And that was tied into martyrdom. So one of the four M. And you know, I finally I had part three. Uh so that was um buying things for myself on a on a kind of a splurging basis that was tied into martyrdom and a low self esteem, feeling sorry for myself and was not looking at the big picture. It was just a quick superficial fix that did not really, (laughs) obviously there's a whole lot of recovery down there that needs to go on. So uh, again, thank you so much, Spencer. Um, That was a really courageous um, episode, and I really appreciate your willingness to share so honestly and openly. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Pat, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Keith sent an email asking, is it still possible to download the shows? And that confuses me a little bit because, yeah, it's always been possible to download the shows. So I'm not exactly sure why he thought it wasn't, but I said, yes, all the episodes should be downloadable on a computer. Each episode has a download link right below the little player that you can play it right on your computer. There's a download link I think you want to like Right-click on that and choose Save Link As or Sync Save Target or whatever your browser says when you click on it. If you're on a phone, and Keith was on an Android phone, you can go to the Subscribe page in, in the menu at the top of each page on the website. Tap or click on the menu, and you can find a Subscribe page. And for Android, there's a Subscribe on Android button on that page. If you do not already have a podcast player, if you do have a podcast player, it should open up in that podcast player. If you don't, it'll give you some links to download podcast players. I don't have Android, so I can't recommend a particular one, but you download the the player and then you go back and click subscribe on Android again, and it should open up and give you the ability to subscribe to the podcast. And once you're subscribed, your player will download new episodes as they come or, or, Every player I've ever used gives me the opportunity, the option to go in and find past episodes and download them to my phone so that I can play them when I'm not on uh, Wi-Fi or even not on cellular data. And depending on your data plan, um, you might be able to download while you're on data, not just on Wi-Fi. A typical episode runs about 20 to 40 megabytes, so factor that into your data plan, whatever it is. And uh, I said, hope that helps. We have an anonymous voicemail here from somebody who's suffering.
1: Hi, I'm um, somebody who's still in the grips of addiction and um, really struggling with finding my willingness to to be sober. I don't want this lifestyle. I hate it, but every time I wake up after a three-day bender, I'm just like, status quo, let's do it all over again. Meanwhile, my life falls apart. I know i just got to do it. I don't know why I've created this trap for myself. But anyway, let's hope you could give me some good input on how to have a structured life without necessarily going to a halfway house, if possible. I mean, if not, I just I want to be happy. Anyway, you guys do a great service. Thank you for your podcast.
0: I mean, this is more about people who love an alcoholic or an addict, but I would suggest that you check out one of the recovery podcasts that is more focused on addiction or alcoholism. I like recovered podcast, partly because the guy who does it is a friend of mine. He's about 800 episodes in. There's a lot of wisdom there. His most recent episode on step three, I just found so much in there that spoke to me. That's at recoveredcast.com, so I would say head over there and and check that out. I hope you find help. Joanna wrote, Hi, Spencer. Recently, I listened to this podcast called Sadness and Loneliness. I was impressed with your guests, how open and honest he was about his situation. His situation seemed very close to mine, and I felt encouraged when he shared how he had reached out to God for help one night when he was feeling lonely, and God answered him by giving him three beautiful dreams. It was lovely, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Thank you both for your honesty and vulnerability and for sharing your hurts with us. It means so much. Praying that God will continue to heal and strengthen and give you peace. And one more thing, it seems to be an extra blessing to hear some of these encouragements from the men. Blessings, Joanna from San Jose, California. And thank you so much, Joanna, for your note. Ken writes, Hi Spencer. Just listened to your revisiting of the topic boundaries in episode 103. I so appreciated this episode as I now have a family member living with my wife and I who is very young and in early recovery. She also recently relapsed a couple times. I need all the helpful reminders I can get on boundaries. I particularly enjoyed your and Maria's discussion on how necessary it is to value myself enough in the first place to even believe that I am worthy of boundaries. It was also a good reminder for me to see how I might be trying or want to try to place limits on others' behaviors in my family that are not in recovery, which is not my place." I also came from a meeting this morning where the topic was tradition too. Such a good reminder that I am not anyone's higher power and that everyone has equal say and that I don't know everything. However, I can place limits on the behavior that I will tolerate and make it clear to the people in my home, how I will respond when one of my boundaries is crossed. And I try to do it with love and not with an axe. That's the tough part. Yeah. So true canon. And Hey, tradition too. There's a coincidence, huh? Ken sent a couple of voicemails, uh, one in response to episode 111, Prayer.
2: Spencer, this is Ken from San Jose, California. I am almost done with listening to your episode 111 on prayer. I just had a couple things. First off, I just wanted to thank you again for your service of what you're doing. It's really tremendous. It helps me so much in my recovery. And then as far as the prayer thing goes, I found your episode to be particularly helpful for me as I came from a religious tradition that was very regimented, uh, very rigid. It's almost like the prayers that we said in that religion were, you know, do this or or God will blast you off the face of the earth kind of thing. The language of the prayers, the these and the thous and the thys. And so I really appreciated the resources that you shared of the alternate versions of the Third Step Prayer and the book by Anne Lamont. I I am about to purchase that because I know I've heard you mention it a number of times, and I think I'm finally ready to (laughs) read something about that. But for me, I, I had had this wall up for prayer for quite a long time ever since I had come into Al-Anon and I was just fed up with everything and I was broken and I definitely didn't want to go back to the religion of my upbringing. What Al-Anon did is it it gently, very gently persuaded me that there could be a different way of approaching prayer and as I worked the steps with my sponsor and you know we got to the you know second and third steps and uh, eventually the 11th, and that kind of thing, and to see, like, okay, well, prayer is just talking to God. That's all it is. And if I make God my constant companion throughout the day and just talk to him like a friend, I don't need to use that language that was so triggering or the approach to prayer that was so triggering to me as a young person uh, and as an old per- older person. You know, I've been going through something recently where I've I've... This past week, I've just had a lot of stuff going on, and I've my allergies have been absolutely awful, and I felt physically not that great. I've actually had to take Benadryl, if, you know, a few days during the day just to manage my allergies, in addition to my normal stuff and personal life. There's been some upheaval with a close family member who's struggling with addiction, and my wife and I are kind of helping out with that and trying to support as best we can. But I've noticed myself. Uh, You know giving away of my serenity in the process and then the past few days I I don't know. I just Wasn't praying as willingly in the morning I I started to develop this really good habit of first thing in the morning I'd get in the shower and i'd start praying And that was working really well for me. But I think as you shared a number of times On the podcast, you know, sometimes you just miss a day and for me I don't know. I missed a few days to maybe even a week of doing that particular practice first thing in the morning. I mean, I would do it later, but it wasn't as meaningful. And then I think this was kind of a wake-up call and chaired a meeting yesterday on the idea of this too shall pass, which was really beneficial for me. I've been in the program for two years and uh, I chaired uh, the meeting that uh, I first went to and I've been regularly going to that particular meeting. I found the sharings there very helpful and very higher power focused uh, as well as you know, the people speaking kind of channeling what I needed to hear and what my higher power wanted me to hear, and it was so healing. And I wouldn't have wouldn't have gotten all this if it hadn't been for Alonon, but also for your wonderful supplement of the podcast because it it's helped me so much. You know, in meetings, the meetings are fantastic, and the you know, the, working with the sponsor is awesome. But I find in your podcast a really incredible resource in which you can dive into great detail of how specifically you and your co-hosts go about working the program with a lot of specifics because a lot of times in meetings you know i don't know i find that i'm a very detail-oriented person i can i kind of like to intellectualize everything to kind of one of my defects that I'm working on. But I, I find a lot of power in the details and when people share specifics. And that's what I value the most in your podcast. So kind of got way off track with what I was saying there. But the bottom line is uh I, I appreciate your service and uh your podcast on prayer has is you know, I've been i li- I'm listening to it at a, a really opportune time for me and it's been so helpful. Um, thank you for your service and bye.
0: And another on episode
2: 112, Do You Drink? Hi, Spencer. This is Ken from California again. I just finished listening to the first part of your um, episode 112 titled, Do You Drink? I wanted to thank you for your sharing there. It it was really powerful, and I, I could tell it was something that was difficult for you to talk about, but I really appreciated your honesty and your transparency about that. This is something that for me that I struggle with. And have struggled with ever since I kind of came out of denial about my loved one's alcoholism. Because kind of up until that point, uh, I actually considered myself like a, you know, a a wannabe uh, mixologist, as they like to call them. You know, somebody that creates these so-called craft cocktails and, you know, even considered getting a part-time job as a bartender just because I enjoyed like the mixing of it so much. When everything kind of my world came crumbling around me and you know my loved one <clears throat> went to treatment and I started going to you know meetings a little bit before she uh, admitted to her alcoholism, I was honestly kind of scared i I, and I still can get into that very fear driven place anytime that um, I think about my drinking because my codependency is so strong that I do think. On some levels, that if I drink because somebody I love is an alcoholic and can't drink normally, somehow I will just automatically be an alcoholic, or I will at least drink alcoholically, or um, it will, tr- like you shared, uh, will it will trigger them somehow. I'm kind of at this point where I, you know, I'm not sure you know my loved one and I have talked about this and she's completely fine with me drinking but we don't have it in the house which is completely understandable because she's in somewhat recent long term sobriety and I want to respect you know her wishes and for me I, you know I don't to the best of my knowledge I don't have the allergy I don't have the the I don't have the alcoholism I, I don't believe that's part of my story of course I I in college and after that as a young professional, I did drink quite a bit at times, but the blackouts or anything like that, I mean, that's not really part of my story. I can say honestly though, that I do have a lot of guilt when I drink now and I don't really drink as much as I used to. And I've, I've kind of noticed as a result of working the, the steps and going to meetings and all that stuff for the past couple of years my desire to drink has been significantly lessened. And I can also say that when I do drink, you know, with friends or, or out, or if she's not there for an evening or two or some, you know, with with her friends or, you know, doing something that's job related that takes her out of town, I, you know, I kind of lose I don't I don't enjoy it as much as I used to. It doesn't bring me that kind of self medicative numbness that at one point i had desired particularly when before i gone to al anon i i i used, i would drink kind of heavily in the last few months before my loved one sought treatment because i had run out of ideas and i wasn't i just didn't know what else to do and it's really difficult to talk about because I have that fear in me that says, well, maybe I'm an alcoholic. Maybe I'm an alcoholic, even though I, I don't really have any evidence to support that. I, I haven't had any negative consequences as a result of my drinking. I am able to stop uh, whenever I want. I I appear to have control over my own alcohol intake, even though my codependency tells me otherwise. So where I am now, I, I'm kind of at this, this point where I'm not sure. I'm sad, at, obviously, at the, at the loss of not, you know, um, at the loss of not being able to make my craft cocktails and do all that stuff. Cause I really did enjoy that, that like the recipe part of it and, um, the originality of it and coming up with new recipes. I mean, it was like cooking, honestly, for me. I mean, that's a, I'm at the point now where I'm not sure. I don't think I need to say that I'm never going to drink again, but when I do drink, I feel disconnected from my higher power. Is the that's the best way. And I've heard a few people a couple times in meetings share about their own drinking, but it's only in passing because it it does seem like a taboo topic for Al-Anon and, and I, you know, perhaps rightfully so. I don't really know what the right thing is that there, but you know it could trigger so many different people there to say oh well you should be doing this with your drinking and well are you sure you're in the right meetings kind of thing you know there's it, just a lot of fear there i've heard a few people share in meetings about that but i you know i've heard a couple of people talk about how it 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 makes them feel this that disconnection from their higher power and i i think i really identify with that feeling because i, I and it's it could also be that combined with just the fact that alcohol is a depressant. I mean, chemically speaking, uh, it causes, you know, to varying degrees, depression. There's also the health risks and stuff associated with just Im- imbibing alcohol at all. So, you know, I'm not really sure what, where I'm going with this. I guess my point is, I don't know, but I know that I've been able to be honest with myself and with my loved one about, you know, how occasionally I, I occasionally now for me is like, you know, once every couple months or once a month, maybe I'll have a f- couple drinks, uh, with a friend or out. Or like I said, if, if my wife is on a business commitment and she's not, she's not there for a few nights, that the honesty piece is really, really important because I don't, I don't want to be dishonest with, my, with myself or with her about my own drinking because it just, that, that feels, uh, bad. <laughs> it feels bad, and and that kind of hiding it almost f- makes me fear. Like, oh, maybe I am an alcoholic, even though it's, even though I have no ev- evidence to support that. And so I th- I I think that's all I've got. But I really, truly want to express my gratitude to you for this topic because it is something that honestly, I'm not sure what the right venue is for it. I th- I know that this podcast is obviously a great venue for it. I don't know. How it can be talked about in Alanon meetings or, you know, or maybe that's not right, the right format for it. Maybe it's more among very close Alanon friends. I haven't found a safe space to talk about that specifically with people in the program just because I think, well, it's because of my own fears and, you know, wanting to not make anybody upset or triggered. So thank you uh, for the topic. I will probably call back soon when I have more thoughts. Take care. Bye.
0: Ken is clearly binging on the recovery show because he sent a topic suggestion by email. Hi, Spencer. I chaired a meeting yesterday and one topic that came to mind when I was talking to a member after the meeting was commitment versus obligation. This is something near and dear to me, especially since I confused those two things for most of my life. In fact, I'm pretty sure most things I did out of a feeling of obligation or as a compulsion, all my codependent tendencies. I, As I understand it now, thanks to program, a commitment is the ability to know oneself, gauge one's own thoughts, feelings, energy level, interest, etc., and then make a conscious choice to say yes or no to that commitment, whether it is to oneself or to others. Up until Al-Anon, I had no way of knowing myself well enough to make a proper commitment really in any way. Therefore, most of what I did was out of a feeling of obligation or over-responsibility or compulsion. Coming to know myself and my own limits as a result of my step work has greatly helped me in this ability to commit to things or to say no. And it also has helped my awareness as to when I am motivated by my old character defects of over-responsibility or feeling of obligation. Just a thought. Thank you, Ken from California. And oh man, Ken. That is so true. I think that's a great example of acting from your wise mind. What did you say here? You said, gauge my own thoughts, feelings, energy level, interest, etc. And then make a conscious choice to say yes or no. And something I continue to work on is people ask me to take on commitments. And I feel like I should, but I really have to ask myself those questions. Thank you. Jane has a question. She says, hi, I'm from the UK. Thanks for your wonderful show. It keeps me company when I feel alone and reinforces all the gains I received through working my program. I used to donate by clicking the Amazon button on your website, but now there's only Amazon.com. Has there been a change or is there an error on the website? Gratefully, Jane. I have to say the question confuses me because as far as I know, I never had an amazon.co.uk button maybe amazon changed something maybe that button that i had took you to the amazon.co.uk when you were in the uk and now it doesn't i really am, i haven't changed anything i tried actually tried to register with the uk amazon to be able to take donations from from folks in the uk and for whatever reason they rejected me oh well I feel so rejected. No, actually not. Thank you. Thank you for thinking of us. I would say redirect your donations to a worthy cause that, that you can get on, on amazon.co.uk. But thank you for thinking of us. And on that note, it doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly just like Holly, Susan, Kristen, Mary, and Marianne did. And thank you again, Holly, Susan, Kristen, Mary, and Marianne for your contributions. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click or tap on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon in the U.S. through our website, we will receive a small commission. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening, we are here for you. In the last song selection, I seem to be stuck on Motown for the last two songs here, but hey, nothing wrong with that. The song is Ain't No Mountain High Enough, as sung by Diana Ross. And again, you can listen to it at two three seven lyrics here from the chorus because baby there ain't no mountain high enough ain't no valley low enough ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you that's all about acting it's all about acting thank you for listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too we did not talk about a problem you are facing today Feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time.